Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Friends from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep here in the remote Pacific Northwest. I'm Jeremy Scott. They are Johnny Cobb and Jerry McCoy with the end of the paranormal theme song. And we welcome you to the show tonight in which those subjects of UFOs and extraterrestrials in which they discuss in the lyrics we talk about here on the program tonight. And my guest will be Preston Dennett. He'll be coming up in about 20 minutes or so. And we look forward to talking with uh, with Preston. A lot of UFO news to get to, though, between now and then. We haven't been avoiding the UFO topic, but there's been so many other things that have been happening besides UFOs. And we kind of expect that maybe at some point there might be some bigger UFO no- news um, on the disclosure front maybe by the end of the year or early next year. Not that I have any sort of inside information, but it just seems like there's this carrot that's been dangled out there and that, you know, we have the task force. Uh, the, the Defense Department has created this task force, which is uh, a significant development here because we know about the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. That came out in December of 2017. It was our Christmas gift that came out. And over the course of 2018, we really started to see videos come out of encounters that Navy uh, military pilots, they've been having with, with UFOs. You know, going back quite some time, but but just finally coming out and starting to see the light of day, which is a story in and of itself. And uh, since then, you've seen the uh, the founding of the To The Stars Academy, and you've seen folks like Luis Elizondo, Tom DeLonge, and others come out. And we know that Harry Reid has been involved and funded that through the Department of Defense starting in 2007. And, of course, this isn't anything shocking or new to you as the audience. But now we have information that there is an actual task force that was created by David Norquist, who is the defense deputy secretary, and he did so just a few short weeks ago. It's called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, or UAPTF, 
like we know the terms, ATIP, A-A-T-I-P, Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Now it is UAPTF, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. And it was created following the Navy coming out and saying, yes, our pilots are seeing this and we're going to start taking reports. You had senators, members of Congress, maybe not official briefings or meetings, but certainly there were lots of closed-door discussions on the UFO topic, and uh, there were many senators who wanted additional information. The Pentagon says that the Department of Defense has established UAPTF to improve its understanding of and to gain insight to the nature and origins of UAPs. The mission of the task force, they say, is to detect, analyze, and to catalog UAPs or unidentified aerial phenomena that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. Now, the Pentagon has made some statements, some pretty significant statements, on the UFO, the UAP subject, over the years, particularly over the last couple of years since uh, 2017 and 2018 that have been very, very contradicting of themselves. At first, they they appear that uh, to say that there are there's no additional evidence, and then they say, well, yeah, kind of there is, but we can't release it. Oh, maybe we can release a little bit of it, but we can't release all of it. And it's as if they are learning on the job, and the goalposts are constantly moving, and the rules are changing, and you, you don't know what you're gonna get, but That's how it works. See, it's a game. It's like a shell game. It's a Ponzi scheme, and you just kind of move the objects around on the table, and you try to get the audience to follow you around and find the P. Where's the P? Which shell? Or the ball and cup routine. You see the magicians do the ball and the cup routine, and I used to know how to do this, actually. And and you put the ball under the cup, (laughs) and then watch the cups, and they move around, and which cup is the ball under? And this is no different. It's a, it's a shuffle game, and th- that's exactly what it is. Am I happy that there's a task force? As a UFO aficionado myself with most of the books on the bookshelf about UFOs and about extraterrestrial encounters, yeah, I want this information out. I want everybody in the world to know that we've been visited, that we are visited, and I want the truth to eventually come out to the greater masses. So, yes, I'm excited that there's a task force investigating UFOs. But do I expect anything to come from it? No, I don't. And that's the very, very sad thing. Because much like these official and unofficial investigations that have preceded UAPTF, Project Blue Book, we know the official statement of Project Blue Book, which is paraphrasing, nothing to see here, friends, move along. And there have been other investigations, unofficial investigations, ones that followed Blue Book unofficially and officially. We know of the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. We know of this task force. This is such a secretive subject. It's a a touchy, sensitive subject that it has to be handled with care. It has to be – you can't just release all of this information. Not everybody can, can handle it sort of speak. And so it has to be the trickle effect. And that's what we have. 
when you hear of a UFO story, that's a little bit of a trickle effect. A little bit of information coming out here, a little bit of information coming out there, and then the evidence is so dang overwhelming, you can't possibly, seemingly, with a right mind, ignore it all. Save your data and listen for free by calling 701-719-9703, courtesy of TalkStream Live. Pushing the envelope and never looking back. You're traveling into the pair of normal. It's been a cool to watch the past couple of months as UFO reportings have gone through the roof. I don't know that we have necessarily final official numbers because from my understanding, the UFO reports have just been so off the charts. The investigators are having a hard time, you know, getting all of it like typed up, written, documented. They've got lots of notes and hopefully... Once things slow down, they'll be able to get all of that information out there. But folks like MUFON, who actually check sightings and run tallies from uh, from all accounts, UFO sightings are up. In fact, uh, Brad Bernard's um, Paranormal News a couple weeks ago had a story about UFO data, particularly, I think, up in the Canada area, mostly uh, Canada uh, up, up there, where sightings have increased uh, over 50% during the lockdown for the coronavirus. And I imagine that that probably is the case in other uh, places. As folks are home, they can only be inside so much. They get outside. They're in the yard working. They're enjoying time outdoors, especially here in the summer. Things grab their attention. They start to look up. We're outside later at night because it's, uh, you know it stays lighter later. And then dusk starts to set in. And that's when we see a lot of UFO reports is right around that time. So actually probably right around this time on the East Coast, for those of you who are listening, if if you're in Hawaii, it's, you know, middle of the afternoon and you're probably not going to see a UFO. You never know. And uh, everywhere else, as it gets later and later, is that, that time where it starts to go from, you know, lightness to darkness, right before it gets pitch black. That time right there. That's when UFO encounters happen. Well, UFO encounters happen at all hours of the day. But at that particular time, I don't know what it is. They're partially concealed by lightness, partially concealed by darkness. And it's also the point when uh, air traffic controllers actually see these objects, but they don't show up on radar. And we've heard those accounts Time and time and time again of pilots who say, look, I know what I saw. Don't tell me I'm crazy. I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I saw. And they radio air traffic control. Not only does air traffic control not see it sometimes, other times they do, but they can't find it on radar either. And that's the most mysterious is the ones that don't show up on radar yet you know what you saw. That right there demonstrates that there's some sort of technology at work here that we don't have, or at least that if we did have, we've let it be known that we have. Certain trade secrets you don't want getting out, and maybe that's one of them. But I suspect that in other places we're going to factually have the information that more people are seeing UFOs than ever before. 
And I think that that's the case. I think that more people's eyes are open to the possibility of seeing not only just lights in the sky, but a craft and maybe having some sort of contact or communication with an extraterrestrial. We talked about last week about how you could possibly communicate with ETs, how you could send signals and receive signals. But a lot of people are set in their ways. And there's a lot of people who never come public about this because they're scared of being ridiculed. They don't want to be labeled a kook. And they don't want to distance themselves from others. Well, we're, we're the most distant we've been in a lifetime. A lot of these people don't have anybody to talk to because they're socially distant. The people they used to interact with work, they don't see those people anymore. Email's not the same. Zoom's not the same. Skype's not the same. And maybe this is the breaking point for some where they're just saying, I have nothing to lose. Some people believe it's the end of days. A lot of people haven't gone through this um, type of stuff in their lifetime. And uh, so for those people, uh, this is the time that probably where they have the least amount to lose from coming public and sharing a story of a UFO encounter. Or maybe just a strange sighting that they can't explain. Because... If you can't see it, you don't know what it is. That's what makes it an unidentified flying object. And there's been reports of all sorts of these objects all over the place. The most, I would say probably most popular, at least in generations of the past, has been the flying saucer. Most people are familiar with the flying saucer. The flying saucer seems to be portrayed in you know many UFO reports, at least the early UFO encounters. And then, of course, the triangle craft are another one that people say they see. You know, a, a triangle in the air and dots, one on each corner, giving it the triangle. And either they see a craft shaped like a triangle or they see lights making out an appearance like a triangle, and you know, like a perfect triangle. And uh, apparently in Texas, there has been some of these sightings. It's still unknown whether this is the TR-3B, which is the U.S. stealth plane. We had some of those sightings out here in Oregon, I believe right around a year ago. And this could possibly, I guess, explain some of these uh, triangle-shaped UFOs, but from all accounts, the TR-3B isn't currently flying and hasn't been flying. Maybe it's being tested because it's important that if you can explain, if you can, C-A-N, explain some of them, that that be out there. Like if you know what some of these sightings are, if you can explain what these are, it, it does need to be made known because... Not everything is an alien craft. All alien craft are unidentified flying objects, but all unidentified flying objects are not alien craft. But those triangle shapes uh, have been seen in the South, in the U.S., particularly right around that time that I said, right around dusk, right as it's turning from lightness to darkness. They're in Texas. And uh, apparently there have been some increasing accounts of these triangle-shaped UFOs, but these aren't just lights. I mean, in in these pictures, they appeared a little bit reddish in color, so there are red triangles, and um, if you have seen one of these UFOs, if you have seen a UFO, period, I want you to call into the program. I want you to share your story of a UFO encounter, because we have a UFO researcher on the program who would be just as intrigued, if not probably more intrigued, in hearing your UFO story Because we're an accepting bunch here. I personally have not seen a UFO. I've never been taken that I know of. I've not had an encounter. 
I did say I saw that thing out of the corner of my eye, but that's the extent of it. One of the places that you might not uh, expect that people might see a UFO, particularly because in my generation, nobody goes to the drive-in movie theater, right? That was something our parents did and their parents, our grandparents did. And they would always tell stories. Everybody would hang out on a Friday or Saturday night. You'd pull into the lot. You'd bring your sweetie with you. Sometimes you'd sneak in a little legal substances. Of course, you had to always sneak in that um, trip to the uh, concession stand because you had to get your popcorn and your red vines. And then you'd sit down and you'd watch a movie. You'd tune your radio to an FM frequency and you could hear the announcements that were played through the PA system. Well, there are hundreds of reports of people who say that UFOs have come and soared over a a drive-in movie theater and have put on a show. So the question is, are UFOs targeting drive-in movie theaters and are they putting on displays for the audience? It's a fascinating subject that we'll dive full head into when we come back. My guest tonight, Preston Dennett. Into the Pair of Normal is streaming 24-7 on the TuneIn Radio app and at pairofnormalradio.com. Abnormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. The trio of astronauts currently living and working on the International Space Station reopened the hatch between the Russian and American sides of the station on Tuesday, according to NASA spokesperson Dan Hewitt. Space.com reports support staff will continue to evaluate the situation. Ground controllers continue to search for the source of a small air leak on the orbiting lab, which NASA officials stress poses no threat to the space flyers. My green hook is uh, closed and locked. My half is dry. Roscosmos cosmonaut Oleg Kononenko closing the hatch between the crew lock and equipment lock portions of the Quest right, Air. One green light. Right here. Let me, uh, uh, Julia, look at your way. Am I clear of the arm? Clearly armed. You are clear of the arm right now. The original plan called for the trio to have the run of the full station again by last Monday, but ground teams need a little more time to conduct their work. We've never met some of the sun's closest neighbors until now. In a new study, astronomers report the discovery of 95 objects known as brown dwarfs many within a few dozen light years of the sun, according to a release from NASA. They're well outside the solar system, so don't experience heat from the sun, but still inhabit a region astronomers consider our cosmic neighborhood. Members of the public help make these discoveries through Backyard Worlds. Planet Nine, a NASA-funded citizen science project that is a collaboration between volunteers and professional scientists. Backyard Worlds incorporates data from NASA's near-Earth object wide-field infrared Survey Explorer satellite, along with all sky observations collected between 2010 and 2011, were also instrumental in the analysis. There's more news at paraabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paraabnormal News. Oh, 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 
major sighting here. What the hell is that? Reports of a mysterious aircraft hovering above the airplane. A UFO. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. He's a pulsating orb. Look at that, dude. Look at that. Those aren't planes. Change of direction. That's a UFO. Truck driver just stopped in and said there was a flying object. All over the world, people have been seeing giant flying. Oh my gosh! You can call Into the Paranormal toll-free in North America at 855-790-8255. That's 855-790-TALK. Did you people sneak friends into the trunk of your car to get into the drive-in movie theater? Man. I guess I'm just being enlightened to some of the trickery that was going on in the juvenile minds of some of the members of my audience. Drive-in UFOs, welcome to the program tonight. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Just imagine you're you're watching your favorite movie at the local drive-in theater, which are a thing now because... Drive-in movie theaters are making a comeback. And as you're sitting there with your friends, you see a strange flying object swoop down from above and hover right above the movie screen. That object is a metallic saucer-shaped craft. It's got portholes, colored lights, and is totally silent. And then cars start honking. They start flashing their lights, and then people get out of their cars. They start pointing up at the craft. They start screaming, and then some get back in their cars and drive away from the theater in terror. And with everybody looking, the UFO starts to put on a show as it moves around the theater and puts on a show that's far more interesting and entertaining than the movie itself. Although you probably remember the movie because of what happened with the UFO. And it may sound like science fiction, but it's true. UFO researcher Preston Dennett has documented more than 100 first-hand accounts in which UFOs have targeted drive-in movie theaters. And in these cases, the UFOs actually hover at low levels for long periods of time, and hundreds of people are a witness. Other times, strange electromagnetic effects. And sometimes there's even reports of humanoids that are seen. Preston, who's been here on this program many times, began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Well, since then, he has under- interviewed actually hundreds of witnesses, and he's investigated a wide variety of not just UFOs, but paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network. He's a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, the author of 26 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Several of his books have been Amazon bestsellers, of course, and he has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States. He joins us tonight from his home in Southern California. Preston Dennett, welcome back into the Paranormal. Good to have you here. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you've been investigating reports of UFOs, like I said, for close to 40 years. Does it feel like it's been that long, Preston? Uh, not not quite that long. It's like 35, but yeah, it, well, it sure I does. Mean, I... <laughs> it's most of my life, I will say that. 
Like me, point. I've been in radio more than <laughs> half of my life. So <laughs> we've talked to you many times about how you got in to investigating UFOs. What I find fascinating, Preston, about your research is the trends and the similarities that you've been able to find. I mean, anybody can group UFO stories together from a particular time period or a particular state or region. But what you've done is you've actually gone out and, and pursued some of these subjects that haven't written been written about before or at least in depth. And this is one of those subjects, UFOs over, around, and in drive-in movie theaters. <laughs> yeah, pretty weird. I really wasn't expecting it to be a thing, uh, but I had my own case early on. And I thought, wow, you know, this is a unique case and started running across other cases and started to, yeah, notice this pattern. I think this is kind of one of my specialties. I wrote a book about schoolyard UFO encounters not too long ago, last year. And that kind of dealt with encounters where UFOs hover at low level over schools. Mm-hmm. Sort of like they're attracted to schools for some reason. There's certain areas that attract ufos so i started looking into them you know like nuclear power stations and mines metal mines and rocket launches prisons i just did a whole thing on that and uh yeah definitely driving tuners are one of them i was riding ufos over colorado and run it ran into three cases in a row i thought okay <laughs> something is going on here let's look into this but yeah, I was really surprised, I have to tell you. And these uh, UFO reports that you're going to share with us tonight, they go back quite a long way. Because, like I said, drive-in movie theaters has not been something my generation, my age group, um, has done. Because, you know, we're in the Netflix era, and everything's on demand. And, you know, we grew up with black box cable. And so <laughs> we didn't go to drive-in movie theaters. That was something our parents did, and, and our grandparents did. Yeah, yeah, it was very popular in the 50s, 60s, and 70s even, but sort of fell apart when daylight savings time became a thing and also VCRs and all of this, uh, home, movie, home movie viewing. Uh, but they've never gone completely away. There were thousands, thousands of theaters in the 50s, and there's still you know, several hundred. And uh, some, they've got a really diehard fan base. <laughs> Uh, And what I found looking into these cases is they are timed pretty much exactly like the schoolyard cases, starting around 1950 and with high-quality cases every year after that, or on the average. Yeah, so there wasn't a long stretch of time where there just were not any cases. Right. Well, not until the 80s and 90s, and then it trickled out, but I have current cases, 2017, 2018, Uh, but really... You know, it kind of started off slow in the 1950s, as if these objects were just sort of, they would come down over the theaters and put on a little display, but it ramped up for real uh, in the 60s and especially the 70s. I mean, things really started to go crazy then, and I'm telling you, these are encounters people have not heard of. I scoured the books on UFOs, and there was one or two cases I got from books. Most of these, by far, were from newspaper articles and uh, old magazines. Uh, and I was able to interview several witnesses firsthand. So that's always cool. Uh, but yeah, most of, people do not know about these cases. 
that is what is most fascinating to me is because these are first-hand cases. These aren't third-hand. My grandma's sister told me about this way back when at a summer barbecue, and, you know, I kind of believe her. I mean, these are real-life legitimate. I mean, these are the actual witnesses in most cases. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I would say pretty much every case has quotes from at least one first-hand witness. And, uh, yeah, these, these are not normal UFO sightings by any means. Your kind of average sighting is a anomalous light late at night, darts by, you know, two or three people might see it. And that's about it. In these cases, these objects are coming down right over the screen, perhaps on the right side, perhaps on the left side, but very close and uh, staying for a long time. This is not just something that's you know, zipping by. Yeah. And beyond that, you know, sometimes it does more than just stay. I mean, it steals the show in a way that, I mean, really knocked my socks off. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be there in some of these cases. Probably steal some souls, too. (laughs) Uh, I don't have many cases of people being abducted out of a theater, but there's a couple that. Yeah, there are a few, huh? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that you might remember the movie a little bit more if you had an abduction experience or even just a UFO encounter. Well, yes and no. You know, there's that weird amnesia factor involved with That's some of these true, cases. That's very true, Preston. And you know and, uh, all that, about it. I mean, you've, you've studied enough of this, so that's a very important point. You bring in some very interesting factors that maybe some of the researchers wouldn't because they haven't done research in that. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Drive-in UFOs. My guest is Preston Dennett. And we'll be right back. Are you connected with us on social media? Give us a like and follow at Parabnormal Show. Come out at night on Into the Paranormal, where vampires are highly encouraged. You know, I'm thinking, okay, the last uh, UFO movie I saw in a theater was Alien Covenant. Really liked that movie. (laughs) And what Preston Dennett, my guest, was saying before the break has me just, um, well, I was thinking about it during the entire break there. And that was the amnesia factor that he that he mentioned. He's right. You might not remember the movie. Because they might want to wipe your memory clean. Especially if there is an encounter and there's certain things that you're not supposed to see. Maybe they wipe out some of your memories from the movie. And you think you saw the movie. And maybe later in life you go see it again. And things start to make a little bit more sense, but they've taken away part of your memories. And so that is certainly a very, very interesting part of this. And so 
Preston is uh, author of the book that we're discussing tonight, UFOs at the Drive-In, 100 True Accounts of Close Encounters at Drive-In Theaters. Preston, uh, talk about that whole amnesia factor, um, because that is a very interesting part of the experience that some people report. Uh, yeah, and it does turn up in some of these cases. Uh, I have to tell you, most know, most of these people remember their sightings and think about them on you know sometimes a daily basis, they say. Uh, but it does happen. There's a number of cases where people will say remember it, but they don't talk about it. There's a weird silencing factor, and this turns up definitely in these cases. And yeah, there are a couple. I mean, one really major case involved a very close up object that, I mean, we can get into it. But yeah, the witness didn't remember it for a couple years until he saw a UFO book. You know, the I think it was the book by Ed Ruppelt of Project Blue Book. Saw that and it came running, you know, flooding back into his mind. As far as the mass events, you mentioned that, you know, in most cases, the amnesia is not something that these people report, at least in the uh, drive-in movie theater encounters that we're talking about tonight. And when you're talking about mass gatherings, there may be some sort of reason that extraterrestrials, UFOs are targeting these mass events. And that likely is because there is a lot of people there and they are trying to put on a show. And you can't erase that many memories from that many people. And so maybe in that case, there haven't been a lot of mass abductions either because, uh, you know, the ETs are not willing to have everybody else witness this. They would much rather do abductions on a smaller scale uh, before less of a crowd. Not as many people are going to see what they're up to. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what makes these encounters unique. And I was looking for cases like this, you know, are UFOs hovering over concerts? You know, which have large groups of people. And yeah, there's a couple cases, not a hundred. You know, the only other thing that I found anything like this out of the schoolyard encounters, but that's kids. There's nothing out there in the literature which has a, a repeatable case involving literally 100, 200, 300 adults watching an object yeah. for a long period of time where it's dancing around, putting on an obvious show. Ellie brings up a, a point in our YouTube chat that there's also been reports of some of these near fireworks displays, which would also make the case that there is some sort of spectacle that they are trying to put on a show, that they are targeting these events. Yeah, yeah, I know about the, the fireworks UFOs. I'm, I'm looking into that right now. <laughs> uh, I, no, I am, seriously, uh, wow. because that's another UFO attractor. And I think that's what you know fascinates me about these cases. What is it about driving theaters? I do know that if you look at them from above, they make a very striking uh, picture. I mean, you can see them from far away. And UFOs are all about screens. When someone's taken on board, you know, they often see computer-like screens. So maybe these guys are just flying by way up there and see these things. And uh, this crowd of people watching them, and they're just curious. But I don't think so, because that doesn't explain this tendency of them to come right down over the screen. Let me just tell you a good case. This is an early case. Terrorist driving in Bakersfield, August 12th, 1952. It's a pretty big driving theater, maybe 650 cars. Uh, the main witness is Lieutenant Jenkins. And I think that's why this case got attention. A lot of the early cases were from military witnesses. At any rate, this UFO 
comes flying by and it, then it drops down over the screen and stops, turns on its lights for justice, you know, a short moment, turns them off and darts away, high speed, which of course causes complete havoc at the theater. They all run and to the snack stands to call the sheriff. So after a flood of calls hits the sheriff's station, uh, let's see, it was Deputy Hatfield comes over, Leroy Hatfield, and starts interviewing all these people. Interviewed like 30 people out of 100 people there. Long story short, he calls up Edwards Air Force Base to report this sighting. The case is routed to Blue Book, and Blue Book routes it to the Air Technical Intelligence Command at Wright-Patterson and to Air Force Base in Colorado and the Director of Intelligence at Washington, D.C., right up to the highest levels. This is all documented in, in you know, public files you can look up. What kinds of movies do these happen during, you know, Invasion of the Sla- uh, Saucer Men, Men in Black, those kinds of movies, or does it even matter? <laughs> I looked into that because I kind of wondered. And I have Fire to tell in you the most- sky? <laughs> no, I couldn't find any that were directly related to UFOs. One did, was a movie about life after death. But it was just your average spread. There was the Simpson movie in one, uh, a James Bond movie, uh, Jurassic Park, King Kong. One was The Exorcist. That was kind of a scary case for <laughs> in both ways. Uh, so, yeah, the movie didn't seem to be a pattern. Um, and it was more depending on what year it was as, as to what movie was being played. Uh, but most people don't remember the movie. <laughs> they remember the incident. Yeah, exactly. But in some cases, they remember they remember it all, and they're able to share with these with you detailed in, in, encounters. What about multiple witnesses in the same encounters? Have you been able to investigate certain instances where more than you know one or two people say, "Yeah, we all saw it." Uh, yeah, that did happen in a couple of cases. One lady I interviewed. She was the first case I ever uncovered, 1972. She's at the Paramount Drive-In, Southern California. Her parents start looking kind of dumbfounded, staring out the window. And Claudia, the lady I interviewed, I worked with her for you know a couple of years at least. Uh, she sees everyone running by, dropping their popcorn and drinks and screaming, and looks out the window, and there's this classic flying saucer. She said it was shiny silver like a spoon and was at the level of the drive-in movie theater screen, to the right of it, right there. I mean, so we're talking, you know, 15 feet up, 20. uh, And uh, was just watching people watch the movie, she said. That's what it seemed like and caused complete panic. She could hear it was mostly silent, but there was a sort of a low whooshing noise. And uh, they ended up just driving away. (laughs) At some point, I, I forget how the case ended, if it just started away or what, or if they left. Uh, But yeah, that was the first case I really ran into that made me scratch my head. My guest, Preston Dennett, our program tonight, Drive-In UFOs, reports of encounters of UFOs at drive-in movie theaters. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest.
Shedding light on everything the lamestream media doesn't want you to know about. And everything else they don't care to investigate. You're traveling with Jeremy Scott into the paranormal. Lights over major events. There's a history of them, and we're documenting... Events of UFOs encounters over drive-in movie theaters with Preston Dennett, a UFO researcher who has written a book about this that you can uh, pick up right now. It is uh, new and uh, fresh. UFOs at the drive-in, 100 true accounts of close encounters at drive-in theaters. And it's very, very fitting that we do the program here tonight because it's Saturday evening and many of you may be considering about going out to a drive-in movie theater. I actually got an advertisement here in my local area that they are doing now haunted houses, a drive-in haunted houses. So you go to the drive-in movie theater and they play scary movies on the screen and then you open up your car doors or your windows and scary people come by and scare the bejesus out of you while you're watching the movie. It's like a real-life haunted house while you're watching a movie because, you know, it's it's COVID times. Everybody's got to socially distance so we get everybody in a big parking lot socially distance them out and you know go watch a movie and because we can't have all those people going in through a haunted house you know that's too much of a confined space i mean you have to be creative in these times of covid right and so i know that that's was a really cool thing that i saw was happening in my area and i suspect in other parts of the country and the world as drive-in movie theaters are popular once again because you can be socially distant and yet be outdoors. That we might be hearing of more of these encounters over time. I certainly hope that is enough for Preston Dennett to write another book. That would be nice, wouldn't it, Preston? Hey, that'd be amazing. It wouldn't surprise me, actually, because I think a lot of these cases do go underreported. Uh, this is the pattern we see in most UFO encounters. Yeah, because people, they don't want to face the rid- ridicule. They don't have the evidence. They weren't able to get a picture or a video, and nobody's going to believe them, right? Yeah, yeah. Most people do not report their sightings or their encounters. It's just a fact. Before I get accused of having amnesia, I would like you to get back to the story of the witness who had a case of the amnesia and didn't remember what happened to him with this UFO at a drive-in movie theater until, as you said, much later in life. Yeah, this is one of the ultimate cases of this kind. Um, I was able to communicate with the guy firsthand. Scott Santa is his name. This occurred in, let's see, August 1974 at the Ascot Park Drive-In. This was in Ohio. And, uh, yeah, he's just there at the theater. He's, you know, a young man with his friend. And uh, suddenly this giant object comes over the theater uh, from kind of like behind the screen and it's this one's huge it's well over the size of the theater parking lot comes right over it's very dark there's no real lights on it and all the power goes out the movie goes out the snack stand uh any cars that were coming in and out uh, everything just goes completely out and uh, so they got out of their cars and they're watching this thing and uh just completely stunned uh, Scott's ears pop, he said. And uh, so there was this weird Oz effect. It was really silent. 
And people were just kind of zombified, he said, which is a word I've heard other witnesses say, that same phrase. I said the air felt almost heavy. It was hard to move. This thing just moves about 50 feet overhead, goes over the theater, and then moves off. Suddenly, the lights come back on. The movie starts. It's like a, you know, a switch has been flipped, and uh, everyone just acts normal, like nothing happened. And uh, he did not remember as well. You know, he absolutely this was blocked out of his mind. Uh, was in a bookstore a couple of years later and saw Ed Ruppelt's book, like I mentioned. And this whole experience comes flooding back into his head. Fascinating. Is there a typical drive-in encounter, or are they all just kind of different? Uh, I would say there is a typical uh, encounter. You know, you, Being outside at night is definitely a good time to see a UFO, right? I mean, sometimes UFOs just fly by over the Right around theaters. dusk, right? Twilight. Yeah, by the way, when you, I was, heard you said that, and I thought, hmm, a couple of cases that fit that for sure. But my point is, yeah, a driving theater is a good place to see a UFO, and some of these are kind of coincidental flybys. But no, the general pattern is these things come up from behind the screen or drop down out of the sky and go either right over the screen or right next to it, and will hover there for about 10 minutes, 15, and sometimes put on a display like nobody's business and the first case that really caught my attention in that way comes from lawrence fawcett uh, who you may know is a very pioneering researcher in terms of the government cover-up he wrote clear intent uh, later republishes the ufo cover-up about ufos that are hovering over air force bases so a real good first-hand researcher talks about this case which occurred the wellington circle twin in medford massachusetts this is may 1963 and first, two UFOs show up. They raise up a little bit, and then two more dart down, followed by two more, and two more after that. So there's eight disks there, and start to put you know, in two different columns. And for the next 45 minutes, they did this kind of rotating musical chairs type of display over the theater, clearly showing themselves off. This is the pattern we see. You, you say that most of these you know, last more than 10 minutes, What's the shortest one you've ever heard of? Oh, there are some that are just a few seconds that come, you know, like the terrorist driving where it came, dropped down out of the sky, hovered over for maybe just a moment and took off. There's a few like that, uh, but it's the ones that, you know, last a long time that really impressed me. Like here's another, it's an obvious display. This is in Mentor, Ohio, mid-1960s. A cigar-shaped object hovers over the theater for about a half an hour until the owners of the theater turned off the movie because no one was watching it. And actually, some of the people in the audience were afraid that you know, it was attracting the actual disc. And uh, then this is when the show really begins. This cigar-shaped object turns vertical, releases 10 discs, which dance around for another 15 minutes or so, then line up in a column and return into the cigar-shaped craft, which resumes its parallel position and then darts off. So you tell me what's going on here. That's a good point. I wanted to go back and, and make a quick point here um, because as you talk about you know drive-in movie theater cases, these are usually uh, at night. I don't know that many people go to the drive-in movie during the day because you can't see the screen. So that's important to make. And Twilight is, is a very interesting time because I understand that's a time when there are some birds who can only hunt 
at that hour because of, I believe it's the reflection. And that might be what, what is happening with these UFOs as well. Yeah, there are a few cases where people are just approaching the theater or the, the movie is just starting the pre-show and it's not quite fully dark because, you know, they're always eager to get the movie started even if it's not fully dark. And, uh, yeah, I would say probably most know it's somewhere in the middle of the movie, uh, but that's not something people pay close attention to again. Uh, like one of my favorite cases, the guy I interviewed personally, Pat Mitchell, this is in South Hutchinson, Kansas, summer of 1966. He's watching a James Bond movie with his best friend. It's a very exciting movie, you know, like all the James Bond movies. When this dot of light appears in the distance over the screen, starts getting closer and closer. And it's, you know, moving pretty fast, but not that fast. And they can see now it's a metallic disc. And this darn thing comes right um, to the right of the screen. Now, this, is a, this screen is 120 feet high had beautiful colored lights around the perimeter. This thing moves behind the screen. Now it's completely hidden, comes out to the other side, puts on another little display there, just sits there for another five minutes or so, and then starts circling the theater, circles it once, and then starts going straight down the road. So everyone, in, well, not everyone, but at least half the theater, uh, Pat said, race out and chase this object six miles. It ended up down the road to where it parks on the side again. This UFO is cut still 100 feet up, 200, and stays another five minutes and finally just darts straight up. There was like 50 cars, you know, blocking the road at this point. So that's a crazy case and just shows how these objects are, have an agenda. They are showing themselves off on purpose. And I think I know why. Why? Uh, I think they're, have an agenda towards open official disclosure. I think they're trying to convince people of their presence. And that's why I think that they want to move closer. This is the exact pattern we see in the schoolyard cases. They just hover there for a long time and sometimes put on a display. In the schoolyard cases, they land. I don't have any landing cases in the uh, drive-in theater case um, accounts. But they're definitely showing themselves off in a very overt, brazen, audacious way that says, look at me. Uh, and it's a clear attempt to convince a, a good portion of the population of their presence. I think that's what they're trying to do. Do you think that the radio waves have anything to do with it? Because usually when you go to a drive-in movie theater, you tune your radio to a frequency, which means there is some a frequency that is being transmitted they're likely through a, a small wattage antenna, or what is known in the radio business as low-power FM frequency. And throw, So through a low-power FM frequency, you're able to shoot the audio of the movie to all of the cars, to everybody watching it. Do you think that the extraterrestrials or whoever is piloting these UFOs are maybe interested in the radio transmissions? I didn't find any evidence of that. Did find a couple of cases where the speaker is filled with static, that sort of thing. Like at, let's see, 1978, Blue Ridge Drive-In in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, the, they were watching the movie, and the first thing they noticed was the speakers start filling with static, and they hear this really loud hum. Then the picture on the screen starts becoming dis distorted, and then this giant object moves right over the theater. 
very low level. So they were able to, not only were they interested, but they were able to manipulate the transmission. Yes. And in another case, kind of similar. This is actually when the Exorcist was playing. It was a midnight showing. Group of friends. This is 1974. Syracuse, New York, East Park Drive-In. And uh, they're in the middle of the movie when suddenly they see this light kind of surrounding their car, a spotlight. At the same time, there's lights on the screen. They're trying to figure out what's going on. When they look up and, yep, there's this disc right over their car. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting case. They ended up driving away uh, from this object. Uh, yeah, sometimes these, uh, these encounters are terrifying enough to literally clear out the theaters. And I'm not sure that they're attempting to cause a panic, but that's what happens. Well, actually, you know, I'm going to change my mind on that. There's a case, June 15th, 1975, Portland Twin Theater, Scarborough, Maine. This object slowly approaches the theater. It's very low overhead, 50, 75 feet, moves behind the screen, turns around, hovers 15 feet over it. Panic, of course, occurs. Cars drive off without even removing the speakers, you know, which some were at that time were attached. And... Uh, this object then moves over to the next screen. It's a twin theater. Same darn thing happens. Clears that theater out. Only a few cars stayed. Is there mass pandemonium when folks are, are exiting because everybody wants to get out of there? They're all rushing at once. Uh, any reports that people have been followed home or targeted or that there's been anything strange in, the, in, you know, in that mad dash, the rush to get out of there? Uh, well, didn't, I found only one case of someone who attended a drive-in theater and got abducted on their way home, but no UFO showed up at the theater, and yes, it does cause panic, and this has led to some real problems. There was a few cases, by the way, where after the object leaves, people can't start their cars. There was like one in Australia where six cars were dead following this UFO, but yeah. Like dead batteries? Yep, yeah, but the worst case in terms of what you're talking about here is Actually, not technically a drive-in theater. It was an outdoor showing of a movie. This is in uh, Zhangpo County in Fujian, China, July 1977. There was 3,000 people watching an outdoor movie when two objects, it's the same phenomena, even though people aren't in cars. Well, yeah, it's swoop, the only difference is they're not in cars. <laughs> right, but they swooped down over the audience at a very low level, so low that you know people thought they were going to land or crash. People could feel the heat from them, caused a complete mass panic, and 300 people ended up being injured, and two children actually lost their lives because of this. So yeah, this can be very serious stuff in some cases, but most cases people don't panic. They'll flash their lights and things like this, uh, you know, press their car horns. <laughs> Uh, so that does happen. Why are they doing this? Uh, and whoever is they, I guess, is subjective here, and we can get into that. But again, um, is it because they're trying to f find the biggest audience they can? Are they looking for participants that they maybe can abduct? Maybe you're not able to confirm whether or not that was related to some sort of incident that happened at a drive-in movie theater. But maybe it's something that happens later, and these are, I don't know, they're trying to um, pick from a... A pool of participants or something. <laughs> well, I did find that pattern in the schoolyard cases, by the way. Some children who saw these UFOs over schoolyards did have later encounters. Uh, didn't find any in the drive-in theaters. But these, yeah, again, are unique. If they wanted to show themselves off to a large group of people, you know, why not do it over a baseball game 
or over, which are a number of cases. You know, I couldn't find 100, but there was a smattering and a couple over concerts. These are larger groups of people, though. And what's interesting about driving theaters is these people are confined in their cars. And uh, that seems to be a, a factor. And I say that because UFOs seem to love cars, but chase cars down the road. Um, you know what I mean? There's lots of UFO car encounters. And I'm wondering if that's a factor. But really, I think, yeah, it's an easy access to a sort of sizable group, but not so large that in most cases, it's going to completely freak people out. I don't know. I don't know. One per, couple of people actually mentioned to me, well, maybe people are in sort of an entranced state and they're you know, a little bit hypnotized by the movie and they would be more open to this. And I don't know. I mean, that's a possibility. I'm not so sure yeah. that there's enough evidence to speak to that. But Well, um, I, I, cars uh, are a power source. I mean, they've got batteries. So if you have a lot of cars in you know, a drive-in movie theater, there may be an interest in extraterrestrials. There may not be as much of an interest over a wrecking yard because many of those vehicles may not have their batteries. Yeah. Um, like I said, it, do, it does stall cars in more than one case. So there's electromagnetic effects in these cases, uh, which, you know, turn up definitely in other cases. Yeah. But, but some, some of these cases are really bizarre. Preston, what kinds of objects do people say that they are encountering? I mentioned earlier in the program, you know, the flying saucer and the triangle. People sometimes just see light. Sometimes they see craft. What kinds of objects do people see over drive-in movie theaters? Generally speaking, it's a metallic craft classic with colored lights around the perimeter, sometimes portholes. Uh, but there are a few cases of glowing objects. Here's a good one, which really is kind of an amazing case. Uh, a little boy by the name of Peter is five years old, six years old, 1954, St. Louis, Missouri. He's at the Skyland, Skyline Drive-In Theater with his mom and his brother, right next to this little airport here, when a giant glowing red object shows up. It's casting a huge bright light over you know the entire theater people are getting out of their cars some are running towards it some are completely mesmerized it was a very very dramatic event which completely changed his life and actually ended up becoming very instrumental turns out he was interested in ufos following this uh, followed the field was friends with bob gribble a major researcher who founded national ufo reporting center and when Bob Gribble was going to close this down, Peter Davenport, is his name, took it over. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Peter Davenport is one of these witnesses to these drive-in theater encounters. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, Peter's a good friend of mine and, and of the program. And we see him at the McMinniman's UFO Fest there in McMinnville every year. And uh, I hadn't known that uh, that backstory, so I appreciate you uh, you sharing that. Uh, any of the other weird, strange phenomena that go along with some of these encounters? I know you've talked about like you know the weird angel hair. That's one that I that I that I keep thinking of. But any uh, any other uh, substances or things that these craft have left behind? No, no, not that I could find. No, like I said, no landing trace cases. Maybe possibly one physiological effect. I mean, some people do. You know, amnesia, I guess you would call that physiological effect. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, people don't talk about it. Uh, but no, nothing that I could really point to that was physical evidence. One lady did try, this was a recent encounter, did try to take pictures of it. Let's see, where was 
This this was in Texas, the Tuscosa Drive in 2015. Uh, D, a radio DJ, was with her friends and family watching the Dryden movie when this red object shows up and starts dropping down over the theater and then darting back up. And she pulled out her cell phone, of course, and tried to take pictures because uh, I couldn't watch the movie at this point. And uh, no, that just didn't show up on the camera. Yeah, which is typical. Yeah, yeah I have to tell you, during the Hudson Valley UFO wave, lots of people tried to take pictures and most were not successful. And I've got a number of cases here in Southern California, especially when I was doing research into USOs, uh, unidentified submersible, submersible objects, where people tried to take pictures and they couldn't. The ca- multiple cameras failed. And so why? Why, Preston? Uh, they're doing it on purpose. Obviously, they don't want their pictures taken sometimes. I mean, I can't come to any other conclusion. I don't think it's an accidental side effect from being close to a UFO. Uh, I really don't. Uh, and I don't think, you know, any sort of, I don't want to say any, but most effects, I think, are purposeful if a car stalls. We'll continue our program, Drive In UFOs, with my guest, Preston Dennett. I'm Jeremy Scott. Think you've heard it all? Just wait until Into the Paranormal continues. has been a crazy year but wait there's more an asteroid is headed toward earth nasa says it is predicted to pass near our planet on november 2nd one day before the presidential election sure why not that's courtesy fox news TheVerge.com reports this so-called dangerous asteroid, dubbed 2018 VP1, has a 0.41% chance of crossing paths with Earth on November 2nd, incredibly low odds. And even if it did take a turn and hit us, no one would be in danger. The asteroid is a measly 2 meters, or 6.5 feet across, making it slightly smaller than a compact smart car. If it did hit our atmosphere, it would completely disintegrate up above us. For reference, much larger satellites and space debris enter our atmosphere from time to time, burning up above us without affecting anyone on the ground. The BBC reports that local officials in Florida have approved the release of 750 million mosquitoes that have been genetically modified to reduce local populations. RT America's John Huddy. A U.S.-owned British-based company called Oxitech created the modified mosquito named OX5034 and describes its project as friendly mosquito technology, explaining that its mosquito has been altered to produce female offspring that die in the larval stage before hatching and growing large enough to bite and spread disease. The green lighting of a pilot project after years of debate drew a swift outcry from environmental groups who warned of unintended consequences. There's more news at paraabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paraabnormal News.
Show starts in eight minutes. The all but extinct drive-in now making a major comeback due to social distancing measures. It's the return of the drive-in movie. Nobody will believe the invasion of the saucer man. It was very intense, bright light. The two of them took off and there was a streak of light across the sky. Got something to say? Call toll-free 855-790-8255 or ITP51. Into the paranormal. Drive-in UFOs, my guest, Preston Dennett. I am Jeremy Scott. And if you'd like to share your story, it's been brought to my attention that there's a problem with the toll-free number tonight. So it uh, looks like the only number to call in is that one outside North America. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, but you can call in on Skype if you want to go to pairofnormalradio.com. And then there's the Skype button. You can click that. And you can get into the program that way, but it doesn't look like the toll-free number is functioning for tonight. Preston Dennett is my guest, and we've been talking about UFO encounters over drive-in movie theaters. Mostly metallic craft with colored lights. We've been talking about interference, about how it is seemingly you know disrupted the movie and interfered with the movie. Has it ever turned off the movie, Preston? Uh, well, it did in the Ascot drive-in case, uh, certainly. Uh, but more common is, you know, the theater owners will turn off the movie. That's what happened in Belleville, Illinois, October 1975. Last Tango in Paris was on the screen when a couple of objects appear and start putting on this display. And they weren't leaving. You know, by this point, people got out of their cars, 100 people or more, and they're watching this. So they just eventually turned off the movie. And so people could watch this more clearly. And it ended when jets appeared and chased these objects away, which happens in just a couple of other cases, but it does happen. Uh, are these like military jets that they scramble to encounter these UFOs? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We know the military is aware of these cases because especially the early ones went straight to the highest level. I mean, the very first case that I could find was... July 22nd, 1950, in Spartanburg, North Carolina, this dirigible-like object with a rounded bottom, silver or white, very large, was buzzing this theater about three times. And uh, the witness was Vernon Gwynn. He's a reporter. So he calls up the military, and this gets sent up to Project Blue Book and ends up going to Colonel John Meads, the commanding general at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which, as you no, is UFO central. Supposedly. So yeah, we know. Yeah, our military absolutely knows about this, and they were watching these cases closely. I think. Did they ever do any official investigation of any of these cases over drive-in movie theaters, or any of these in Blue Book, or any of the other official investigations that you've been able to find? Uh, yeah, but it's very cursory. You know, Project Blue Book wasn't exactly an investigative body. Uh, there was one pretty high-quality case with a military witness, 
and they interviewed him and uh the witness said it was traveling against the wind. It was a glowing object, clearly artificial. And they said they thought it was a balloon and requested further investigation into the possibility that it was a balloon, uh, which the witness and the investigating officer, the original one, both disagreed with. So, none, yeah, none of these cases made it into the unidentified Project Blue Book files, but some definitely were routed through Blue Book and even up beyond that to the Air Technical Intelligence Command, which is the one... You know, they handled the really meaty cases. Were there cover-ups? Uh, I think probably to, to a certain extent. In the South Hutchinson, Kansas case, uh, they, the main witness, he was a photographer. He didn't have his camera with him, but he had you know, worked for the newspaper, Pat, and as a photographer. And actually went down with his friend and told him about the sighting. And they kind of feigned ignorance, which they knew wasn't true because they knew other people had already gone down to the newspaper and uh because they kept waiting for a story to come out on this and it never did and then rumors started sweeping through town that military officials had showed up and kind of quashed the story uh you know i obviously wasn't able to i verify that but there are a few cases you know kind of like that there was one case really that i could find involving well no a couple of cases involving humanoids but one, one occurred in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 1973. Don't have the name of the theater. The witness is anonymous. And uh, this object was approached the theater. Suddenly the guy in the booth announces to everyone over the speakers, there's a UFO. This is not a hoax. This is an actual UFO. Look, flying over the theater. And sure enough, it was. It was this metallic object, portholes, colored lights. And you could see these humanoid figures, this is what the witness said, looking down through the portholes, uh, just silhouettes. You couldn't tell what they looked like. Uh, his girlfriend was too scared to look. And this thing was just circling around over the theater at about 50, 100 feet. There's an airport not too far away. It was heading towards that when the military shows up and uh, clears the theater out, orders them to stop the movie. And everyone's told to leave and not talk about it. So I don't know. I wasn't able to talk to this witness firsthand, uh, but I do think there's probably a cover-up in some of these cases. What is the most widely viewed case that you've been able to find at these drive-in movie theaters where you have maybe several witnesses or a handful of witnesses or maybe more than that? Yeah, the terrorist drive-in, he, the investigating police officer, interviewed some 30 people. There was 100 who had stayed. Uh, the Zhangpo China Theater had 3,000 witnesses. Generally speaking, it's somewhere between between 100 and 300, but usually most of these encounters, there's two or three that don't, rest on the testimony of one person. You know, in, the, in the case where I invested, Claudia Blasios, uh, she said she was listening to the radio one day when someone called in to report their UFO sighting on this radio show and started to describe exactly what they saw. Said, yeah, he was at the Paramount Theater around 1973. And described her sighting. So she thinks he was there. And that's happened in a couple of cases. But yeah, this is most people don't report their sightings. And this is a real problem. It is a problem because, you know, a lot of times they don't have any sort of photographic or video evidence, which even if they did, there's a lot of people that wouldn't believe that. And it, it's the court of public opinion when it comes to UFO reports, much like it is 
with a lot of what happens in today's society. And in the court of public opinion, a lot of UFO experiencers get beaten up pretty bad. Yeah, but I'm estimating there's like 20,000, 25,000 people who've seen UFOs that are being represented in this book. And I think you can safely times that by 10 at least. So we're looking at a sizable, you know, 250,000 people perhaps uh, who have seen UFOs at drive-in theaters. And I know that sounds crazy, uh, but this is, you know, what the statistics, you know, are showing us. Yeah, it's definitely a sort of overt behavior. I absolutely do think it's intentional. And I think their end game, and I'm all purely speculating here, is that they do want to eventually sort of officially announce their presence. Because well, why they've else been waiting they an awful long time, Preston. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, but why else do they do this? I well, mean, here's okay. another. Yeah, speaking of holding your breath, are you expecting much to come out of this UFO or UAP task force that has just been assembled this month? Um, not much, but I'm expecting something. And if it gets too explosive, I'm going to expect some backpedaling. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty jaded having been in this field for you know decades and heard rumors of this. But this is a movement. It's beyond what I've seen. I think ever really, uh, but so maybe we'll get some more pictures. Maybe we'll get a fragment of metal, but it's not going to have a ripple in society. I don't think until people see the alien body and the craft itself, they're just not going to care. And so it's important that you made that point because as somebody who has investigated, you know, UFOs for as long, 35 years, not quite 40, but 35 years, uh, you, you, you know the trends and the patterns and the typicals and the untypicals or the atypicals. And also the, you've, you've been able to you know look at the momentum that this subject has either gathered or not gathered over the years. And, and you would say that at this time, there's more interest in the UFO subject or more momentum with the UFO disclosure movement than you've ever seen in all the years you've been investigating. Yeah, and I think it's to the government's benefit to disclose. Uh, at this point, I think that's their, probably their motive behind this. Because if they want to remain in control of this subject, if they want to have any credibility left among people on this subject, they do have to start making significant disclosures. Because people just don't trust them anymore. Not when it comes to UFOs. Most people believe they have the craft. And the bodies. Most people believe our government is hiding information on this subject. And for that matter, it's monstrable. And the cover-up is not speculation. It's been easily proven through the Freedom of Information Act and documents released you know, through that FOIA. Do you have a favorite case of these hundred in your book, Preston? Uh, I have several. You know, I've told you some of my favorite cases, but definitely one favorite case that I haven't told you about is it's it's just wild um this occurred let's see june 29th 1964 atlanta georgia and a bunch of you know people were in the movie theater of course there was a little playground in, in front there was bleachers where a lot of the kids were sitting and this ufo shows up one of the kids on the bleachers shouts hey look and there's this ufo just kind of meandering by over the tree line and strangely, no one really pays attention. It goes by, and they all keep watching the movie. And uh, five minutes pass, maybe, and this object makes a reappearance. And this time, it's coming for them. It's targeting the theater. Uh, beeline for it. It's maybe a couple of hundred feet overhead at most. It's 
30 feet in diameter. It's again, a typical flying saucer and comes right over the bleachers, clearing them out, causes complete panic. The kids, you know, the main witness runs to the snack stand with his cousin and they're hiding in there and seeing people running around and screaming and cars screeching away. And finally they have the guts to creep out and see where the UFO is. It's directly over their heads. <laughs> so they finally find their parents, they run to them and uh, dart away. So yeah, in that case, it caused complete panic. It's a very memorable case. Uh, but yeah, there's some other really weird cases too. How many states do you have reports from, Preston, in the U.S.? And, and then I guess how many countries? Uh, it's almost exclusively the U.S. Uh, I did find one, of course, in China, which I mentioned, and a few in Canada. Uh, there's one Canadian case where, let's see, it was Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. This UFO was over the theater so many times that the owners started advertising, want to see the UFOs? Come to the drive-in theater. So, yeah, Canada's produced a few great cases. It's almost exclusively the U.S. And really, there was only about 10 or 20 states. I didn't count, uh, but I think it's about that, uh, that have not had an encounter. Because I, I did take this map of the U.S. and I started charting every case. And yeah, it just peppers right across it. I think Montana, Montana doesn't have one. A few of the lesser populated states, but most do for sure. What California has, has a bunch. Okay, so California probably has the most? California, Arizona. I think Texas has quite a few. Uh, New York, where you'd kind of expect. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely evenly distributed across the U.S. in a way that's you know, this is another weird thing I noticed, and I first noticed this was schoolyard encounters, was a really big case would happen, and then two weeks later, another would, and then exactly one year later, another would. There was this weird timing pattern, and that was true in these cases. There would be multiple cases on one night, and then two weeks later, another really dramatic case, and there was, I don't know, it seemed almost staged in terms of timing. What do you mean by that? Like the ETs know, have a plan on, like, we're going to show ourselves in April, and then we're going to do it in May, and then we're going to do it in June. Uh, this sort of thing. There's sort of a regularity to it that it's not completely regular, um, but there does seem to be these little patterns which are very hard to pin down, where they appear fairly regularly over scattered, you know, they pick a place and then they move to another place. A couple of months later, and then another place. Uh, only a few theaters have been targeted multiple times. The Yuma Driving Theater in Arizona has had like three or four cases. That one up in Prince Edward Island, was where it appeared so often, they started advertising. Uh, but generally speaking, they pick up theater, do their little show, and move on. I'm interested because when you talk about like abduction experiences, usually they come back for the same person more than once. In this case... It would explain maybe why they don't come back to the same theater over again because they're not expecting the same people to be there. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's it, you know, it's very hard to say. There's one really weird case, which I should probably get out because I don't want to miss this one. It's so bizarre. Oh, yeah, it's and I'm going to get to the bizarre ones. Folks heard you say bizarre ones, and they want to hear the bizarre ones. we got plenty of time left to get to the bizarre, so go ahead, uh, Preston. All right, well, I've already started, so I'm going to keep going. This is a, <laughs> I like the way is, you think. 
This is from MUFON. MUFON has supplied a number of cases, as has New Fork. This is where I got you know a lot of these cases this is from newspaper articles, APRO, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, NICAP, these early UFO organizations uh, is where a number of these cases came from. And this one comes from MUFON, Bogalusa, Louisiana, an anonymous witness. She's now in her 70s and finally decided to report this. And uh, she came home one evening. She was a college student. She, her family owns a little drive-in theater outside of Bogalusa, Louisiana. And uh, she normally helped them you know, run the movie, but it was 9 p.m. The movie had already started. So she starts a load of laundry, and she decides she's going to go hunting in the wilderness behind the theater there. There's a little pond and you know, a good place to hunt game. So she heads out there with her headlamp and her rifle. And she can see the movie playing in the distance, you know, a quarter mile away or so. She can see the projection booth. She's, you know, facing it. And uh, comes around this little rise and can't believe her eyes. There's this giant saucer-shaped craft. And it's very low. It's about 100 feet away. She whips out her rifle to uh, look through the scope. And she can see it in four times magnitude. And it's clearly a saucer-shaped craft. And there's big, tall, you know, three-foot-tall windows. It's got yellow light inside. She sees human-looking figures in uniforms, and they look absolutely human. She's pretty much convinced that this is military. She thinks this is probably a military test craft. The problem is it's completely silent, and it's saucer-shaped. And these guys, human or not, are watching the movie. Some of them would go to the front of the windows there and just sit there and watch the movie, while others were kind of fussing around with the panels. So she watches this thing for about 15 minutes. Uh, she's from a military family. Her dad was in the military. And she says he told her they joke around a lot. So she decides she's going to play a little joke and shine her headlamp in, into the windows here. So that's what she does. And the effect was absolutely immediate. The yellow lights turn to bright red. The craft makes this really loud whining sound. She said it was very much like the generator they use for their drive-in theater. And this thing rises up, starts moving slowly away, turns on a green light and a red light and a white navigation light, and starts moving off. So she's really pretty close to the theater. She makes a sprint towards the projection booth where her dad is. And she's in time to point out the object to him. She's like, look, look. He's like, it's a plane. You know, what's wrong with you? And she's like, no, no, it wasn't. It was perfectly silent. Uh, so, yeah, she kept quiet because her dad didn't believe her and kept quiet for years and is pretty much convinced this is military. But I don't know. You know, there are cases where ETs look just like us. So I don't know. And they do mimic planes sometimes, too. We had a question come in through our contact page at paranormalradio.com about whether or not any of these sightings took place near Air Force bases. Uh, yeah, there are a couple, and I think that may be a factor in some of these cases uh, where they did take place. I mean, like the Yuma Drive-In Theater, there's Yuma Air Force Base right there, and uh, that's had a number of pretty dramatic cases. Boy, in April of 1952, it was visited like three times in a row. Uh, one was a very dramatic case. Uh, but that could be why these are being seen in a couple of these cases. Most know a uh, number of these theaters are out in very rural areas. 
uh, which is kind of what theater owners try to do. You don't want your driving theater necessarily surrounded by bright lights. Uh, Preston, we've got just a minute or two left before we take the break. I do want folks to uh, know the number if they'd like to call in. It is uh, 503-506-0396. That is the only number we have tonight. You can get through on Skype, though, at ITP51, or just go to paranormalradio.com and uh, click the button there. I want to hear your stories as well. Raphael sent in a story via email as well. Regarding what we were talking about earlier about fireworks displays, apparently he'd seen um, a UFO or a UAP uh, there at at the same fireworks display uh, saying that um, the first one was apparently idle and the other one shot off at tremendous speeds and appeared motionless at times. And those are just some of the characteristics that we hear in some of these UFO reports, which defy all sort of... um, aviation capabilities, Preston, right? I mean, these craft do things that ordinary, ordinarily aircraft should not be able to do. Yeah, it's one of the red flags we look for, non-conventional movement. Uh, but usually it's not just movement. Sound also can play a factor as well as appearance. So there are multiple things you look for to sort of differentiate UFO reports. Fourth of July is a terrible day to see a UFO because people, I think, all automatically assume you're seeing fireworks. And I think that's probably a possibility in some of these cases. Uh, those uh, sky lanterns can be very convincing. Uh, so, I, you know, I, like I said, I am looking into this what whole are some other things of July that, thing. What are some other things that people maybe mistake for UFOs uh, in these days? I know drones. Yeah, these days drones. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of footage out there that people are like, wow, look at this. And I'm like, hmm. You know, uh, so UFO footage can be easily faked these days. There's there's a lot of problems right now in the UFO field. Uh, but, yeah, people can see, I mean, Venus has definitely turned up in a few cases. Often what people will see is an airplane way, way off in the distance, a jet, perhaps. And they're at an elevation where the light of this jet shines like almost on them or very, you know, in a way that is brilliant, and so what they see is this brilliant, brilliant hovering in place, totally silent. And then it disappears behind a hill or something. Those- we'll continue our program, Preston Dennett, my guest, Drive-In UFOs. We'll be right back. Secret is Area 51. Yeah, and if you believe that, you'll really like this show. Into the Paranormal. My guest tonight is Preston Dennett. There is uh, some stuff going on that can explain a little bit of some of these UFO sightings that are being seen out there, but again, cannot explain all of them. There is a uh, high altitude 
Balloon, Project Loon, which is a uh, communications technology that is being much like the Starlink satellites that SpaceX has been putting into the sky. A lot of people a couple of months ago were seeing a lot of those satellites in formation and were mistaking those as UFOs. In Missouri, folks were seeing what looked like UFOs but turned out to be these high-altitude balloons. Seems like there are tens of thousands of UFO channels on YouTube. Not all of them are credible. A lot of them doctor videos. A lot of them, they try to clickbait you. And not all of that information, people posting UFO videos, are actually legit. So be careful because not not all of the UFO evidence that you do come across is genuine UFO evidence. I would say folks like the Mutual UFO Network and uh, researchers like Preston Dennett and others who I've had here on this program are the more credible reports. We do have a call coming in here, but I wanted uh, Preston to rejoin us because I, I feel like maybe there were some more bizarre UFO events that took place over drive-in movie theaters that we haven't had a chance to fully discuss. Is that the case, Preston, or have we pretty much wrapped that up? Uh, well, I've got a couple, if you'd like. Yeah, there was one case that's kind of interesting. This was one of the Colorado cases that really first caught my attention. Uh, July 1976 it was a classic domed saucer. Comes about 200 feet overhead and starts flashing lights at the audience. This is, again, this weird sort of overt look. Look at me behavior. And it gets even more dramatic than that. It starts extending this little device from out of the bottom of the craft, which shines out a bright a light that's so bright, people can't look at it. It's too bright to look at. So at this point, cars start honking and flashing their headlights back at this object, which darts away real quickly. And this is one of only a couple of cases where it seems like there is absolutely interaction and the object is reacting to the people. Let's uh, go to the Florida panhandle and say hello. You are on Into the Parabnormal with Preston Dennett. Who is this? Um, hi, my name is Dolly Safran, and Preston actually knows me. Um, <laughs> I just wanted I've been, <laughs> Preston, I've been listening all night. And I just wanted to make a couple of comments because Preston is dead on about a couple of things. One is that uh, they really are trying to get our notice and um, they've been doing it for a long time. Uh, I don't think that they would land uh, suddenly without warning, without some sort of planned um, introduction. And I think letting as many people know about them as they can without involving governments is a really good idea. And I think that's their thinking on this. Um, they also are practicing uh, to come into areas where there are a lot of people so that, uh, A, they don't scare the holy hell out of everybody. And it's a learning experience for them, too. I mean, they have to know what they're doing. They have to know the topography of everywhere they're going. They have to know how people are going to react. I mean, it's almost an experiment for them as well to uh, practice this. And I think that we are very close to disclosure. And I think they are going to make the decision to do it without the government uh, aiding them in any way. So what you're saying, and what is your name, Don? Dolly. 
Oh, Dolly. I apologize about that. Dolly. Okay. So what you're saying here is that you believe the ETs are going to disclose and we don't need any sort of government figure uh, to do this. We don't need their help. Correct. Exactly. Interesting. Um, I don't think, yeah, I I don't think our government's going to react really well to their presence. I don't think they have. Uh, for a long time, and I think that um, they have their own agendas, and it's not um, in line with uh, what they what they are observing and doing. And I think they full well know this as well. Yeah, Dolly, great to hear from you. I totally agree. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks for making that point because this is exactly what I think is happening. I think they did go to the government. And they did try to. Uh, have them disclose. Our government did not want to do it. They've not been forthcoming, transparent, or truthful. So the UFOs are doing a grassroots movement. And this is, I think, the answer behind the schoolyard cases, this driving theater cases, and the cases where people are taken on board a craft and shown the engine room and say you don't need to use fossil fuels. There's different types of engines which use free energy or magnetics. This sort of thing is pretty common. So I think they're trying to get their technology out as well so we don't you know, destroy our planet. I, th- I think that's what one of their agendas is, is to sort of protect us from ourselves. I agree. <laughs> 100% totally. Dolly, have you had an encounter? Um, yeah, I've grown up with it. I'm an, I've experienced um, uh, in, uh, uh, encounters of the fifth and sixth kind. I've been on board. I've... Uh, been had uh, teaching elements to my life with them. Um, I uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> I'm just now starting to come out about it. Preston's kind of been the author of that for me, and um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dolly, and, Dolly's um, case actually appears in one of my books, On Board UFO Encounters. So yeah, it's a real treat to hear from you. Oh, um, we are. With our technology that we have now and the fact that people are able to see and communicate with one another readily and easily, um, I think that the amount of sightings that are going on are increasing. And I think that uh, the more we uh, openly communicate about it with one another and discuss what's really going on and try to see the valid uh, data, which I admire Preston's trying very hard to put that out there. He's really researching a lot, um, it will aid what's going on and it will help us. Um, I'm worried about a, uh, lots of people talk about this. I'm not the only one that's going to talk about it. Uh, there's, we, I believe that there's going to be a false flag by our governments around the world. I think that they are gearing up to uh, present uh, the ETs as a hostile force, and they're not. And um, I think that's one of the reasons they're getting ready to go ahead and show themselves, um, hopefully in advance of this. And if not, it'll come in a way that we don't expect, you know, it'll just be, Hey, you know, but are you thinking that that's maybe te- going on right now with the current situation we're in? Yes, I do. I really do. Um, there is a, um, another group of people, I'm going to call it that, who have been working in science and technology for a long time. And we have the capabilities of doing many incredible things. We have many machines and uh, flying capabilities. We have 
uh, unfortunately, we have weaponry and technology that is fast becoming uh, what they believe to be comparable to what ET might have. I find that kind of um, amusing, actually, because no, they do not. But that's what I think that they want us to believe. And um, it's not going to be pretty. I think that it's going to turn into um, an ugly situation. Right now, if you think about it, um, you can get an app, and it's a satellite app, and it'll show you where all the satellites are coming overhead of you at any given time. It'll show you on the globe where they all are at. Also, we are 100% covered pretty much. There is really no space up there that is free um, without some sort of technology up there looking at uh, everything that's incoming around this planet and literally and in our space. Um, we have technology, we have powerful telescopes that are looking into deep space. Um, they've, they've literally known about ET for a long time, and I'm talking way back, probably 1914 was the first uh, time somebody wrote it about it or talked about it to anybody in the world, and um, it just went on from there. And pretty much from the 1930s on, they've known about them. Um, but we've all been, you know, society as a whole has been largely kept in the dark, except for the people that ET contacts or shows themselves to. And you might notice that the people that Preston's talking to or that he's uh, documenting are not uh, people who agree with any government plan to uh, call them a foe. You know, they're not a foe. Um, that there's all evidence to the contrary that they wouldn't harm us for anything in the world. They but haven't. They're, our they're not going to. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, but I'm afraid the governments are going to try to show you that that's not true. Well, and Preston and, uh, knows that because he's documented healings, and you've documented a lot of good that has come from these experiences. Um, she's speaking right down your alley, Preston. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, when I first got involved in this field, I'm like, oh, abductions! Oh my God, this is horrifying. Uh, took quite a bit of, of research and being really objective about it and looking at what people are actually experiencing for me to you know, come to the conclusion that, no, I don't think they're here to take over. I mean, this is the first thing you hear out of a child's mouth when they talk about UFOs. Oh, if they wanted to, you know, they could have taken over years ago, which is absolutely true. It's a very obvious insight. These guys have a very superior technology and could have taken over if they wanted to. And what we're seeing when people are taken on board can be scary. Yes, I get that. And it's not always, you know, fun and games by any means. Uh, but they're not intentionally hurting people. There's no torture. There's none of these horrible things that we do to each other. They're taking people to the engine room and showing them how these craft fly. They're giving them warnings of ecological problems up ahead, environmental problems, uh, our problems with racism and violence. They are giving people spiritual messages of all kinds, waking them up to their own spiritual abilities. So yeah, overall, I'm very hopeful about how this turns out in terms of contact. Not that I'm saying they're all our friends, but what I'm saying is their behavior certainly falls under the umbrella of normal human behavior, but it's skewed far towards the positive more than you know actual humans. Absolutely. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and hang up now and let Preston finish his interview with you. And um, thank you for my time with you. And I'm going to go now. 
I appreciate <laughs> Thank that, Dolly. You. You're a Dolly. Thanks, Dolly. Right. Okay, Onboard UFO Encounters. Tell us about that book and about Dolly's story. Yeah, she's one of uh, 15 chapters in this book, Onboard UFO Encounters, which was my most recent book. And that covers people who've had very extensive encounters. In most cases, it's people who've had this experience their entire lives. And that's certainly true of Dolly. She had very early experiences as a young girl uh, with figures coming to her bedroom. She had like missing time at age 12, started having memories of being taken on board and being taught all these really wonderful things about altruism, mostly, and ethics and science and really interesting things. Uh, so her encounters have been, you know, lar largely friendly, not always. I mean, sometimes, yeah, it's been very scary for her, uh, but she has had some really wonderful encounters. She had one encounter where she walked down into her uh, kitchen to get a glass of milk in the middle of the night, and she had just recently broken her, gosh, I think it was her arm or something, and uh, the ETs were there to check up on her and say, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And they seemed very concerned. These were just your sort of typical grays. And actually, it was a hybrid. And she's looking at him, and he's like, don't you know me? And she's like, no, I'm not sure I do. And he says, I'm your son. And she's like, oh, and could see some family resemblance. And he proceeded to tell her, she's, she's like, how old are you? And he's like, well, it's the way you would think of it, I'm 25, but I'm actually much older than that because we are not in your time stream or, or words to that effect. And uh, yeah, her encounters have been very benevolent. She says that they've been watching over her her whole life. And uh, she's had other really incredible encounters that point towards their benevolence. Back to the topic of drive-in UFOs, are there any other points that you'd like to make? Are there any similarities? Are there any things that, that stand out in, in these reports from others? Uh, well, what, one thing I just want to reinforce is how unique these encounters are. And uh, you can cry, you know, hoax, halluc hallucination, misperception. In a lot of UFO cases, that's been the Air Force's sort of go-to. Uh, when they want to debunk these things. But you cannot say that with these cases for a number of reasons. They're far too low level. Uh, so that really reduces the chance of misperception, as well as being long-lasting. And furthermore, our group viewed by large groups of people. There's no other case out there like this. Uh, occasionally, yeah, UFOs do show themselves to a crowd of people, but not regularly. So that makes these cases unique, and I think is kind of the most interesting pattern to all this, because it does sort of reveal their agenda of wanting to show themselves off. And yeah, they could abduct people, and then possibly that is what happened to Scott Santa. He doesn't know. He's got some real questions about why he forgot, you know, had that amnesia involved. Uh, possibly there are some abduction cases, but I don't think so. I don't think they're widespread, at least. I think this is just a simple case of look at us. Don't be scared. We exist. And your government is not telling the truth uh, sort of message. That's, I think, the ultimate sort of agenda behind this. Fascinating, Preston. Absolutely fascinating. What other effects have UFOs had on the movies? Uh, well, one thing, I mean, just... From a broad perspective, <laughs> if you look at movies today, some of the top-selling movies are about aliens. I'm not sure that that's a coincidence. 
because what we see is a sort of convergence of science fiction and UFOs coming around the same time. Uh, and it's interesting how Star Trek echoes a lot of what people see and, you know, the common themes of UFOs. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, but I don't think, you know, I, I, I'm convinced we're dealing with extraterrestrials in the classic sense, that we're dealing with biological beings from other planets who are flying craft. And I know there's other theories, uh, a la Jacques Vallée and Jerome Clark and John Keel, who say that some of these are not aliens. And yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Some aren't, but I think most probably are. And uh, it can be very confusing because there is a possibility that some of these cases involve trickster spirits, perhaps, or intelligence of some kind. Uh, in my book, On Board UFO Encounters, there's a one witness who's pretty much convinced these are not extraterrestrials. But another is convinced they're angels. Another is convinced they're demons. And the other 12 or so are pretty much convinced they're extraterrestrials. So that's what I think we're dealing with for the most part. And once we can see these flying saucers, you know, these craft that our government is holding, and I think they are, I think there's enough whistleblower reports to say that, uh, if that information comes out in the public arena, well, then we know. UFOs, you know, to, it's really kind of a shame to call UFOs a mystery, I guess is what I'm saying, because they're not. We know what they are. We do? I mean, are they alien yeah. craft or are they yeah. humans uh, from our future? I think that one's still up for debate, Preston. That's a, yeah, that's one of my favorite theories, one of the top five, I would say. Uh, our descendants, our, our children from the far future. And there's a number of cases you can march out that speak to that for sure. And it is odd that greys in particular can mate with humans or hybridize. Uh, so that would mean essentially that they've got DNA, certainly, and human DNA if they're creating hybrids. Uh, and there are cases, yeah, where the ETs have said flat out, we once looked like you. You know, we are you. We are, you are us. So I'm not going to rule that out. But here's my dilemma. None of that would, I mean, that does not preclude them being extraterrestrials. Extraterrestrials might have the ability of time travel. And for that matter, being interdimensional or putting on masks or, sh you know, a la shape-shifting. None of that would necessarily preclude them being extraterrestrial. And one, of the, uh, one reason I think they're extraterrestrial is because, you know, biologically speaking, is because when people are taken on board UFOs, they report two types of odors. And one is sort of a metallic ozone-like odor, perhaps sulfur-like. But often people will describe a biological odor. Um, Whit Whitley Strieber talked about this, how they smelled kind of like cinnamon. Uh, people will describe, you know, a cheesy smell. <laughs> it's not usually pleasant, but definitely a biological odor. And that kind of points towards these being biological beings. A cheesy smell, you said? <laughs> yep, that turns up in another a number of cases. I, I wrote a whole chapter on UFO odors <laughs> because of this. Oh, my gosh. I hope it's not rotten cheese. Our That's program not... tonight, <laughs> Drive-In UFOs with Preston Dennett, and we'll be right back after Paranormal News with Brad Bernards. 
Make sure to subscribe to Into the Parabnormal's free YouTube channel for shows, news, and exclusive reports. Before astronomers first pointed their telescopes at the sun in the early 17th century, the star had already existed for around 4.5 billion years. We've only seen a brief glimpse of our sun's long and extensive life cycle. Inverse.com reports that according to a new study, long ago the sun varied in brightness and activity, and it may also have had a twin. The study, published this week in Astrophysical Journal Letters, suggested a model whereby the sun was part of a binary system. The authors theorized that the sun's companion was kicked out by another star that got too close. The model has implications on the mysterious Planet 9, increasing its chances of having once been captured by the stellar duo. The idea may seem wild to most, but Amir Siraj, the paper's lead author and a student at Harvard University, finds it rather unsurprising. Radioactive dust deep beneath the ocean waves suggests that Earth is moving through a massive cloud left behind by an exploded star, according to reporting in ScienceAlert.com. Continuously for the last 33,000 years, space has been seeding Earth with a rare isotope of iron forged in supernovae. Here's nuclear physicist Anton Wallner of the Australian National University. Supernovae are very explosive, very uh, highly energetic. If such events happen close by to the solar system, then there might be even an impact on climate or on life forms on Earth. It's not the first time that the isotope known as Iron 60 has dusted our planet, but it does contribute to a growing body of evidence that such dusting is ongoing, but there's more recent evidence of this stardust, much more recent. There's more news at parabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Parabnormal News. We're confronted with calls from people who say they've seen flying saucers and little green monsters. It was like a little person with no hair whatsoever, red eyes, and three horns. A flying object was visible for about 10 minutes before disappearing into the clouds without a trace. Two pilots reported an out-of-this-world sighting last month. They say they may have seen a UFO while flying over Arizona. The number of UFO sightings is soaring tenfold over the past 25 years. The U.S. Navy has finally acknowledged that videos appearing to show UFOs flying through the air are real. real. No boring politics. Just tales of UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, and earth-shattering science. You're traveling into the paranormal. Preston Dennett, a UFO encyclopedia tonight on the program, author of UFOs at the Drive-In, 100 True Accounts of Close Encounters at Drive-In Theaters, and so many other great books. I've got two of them here in the studio. 
We've got schoolyard UFO encounters, and we've got undersea UFO base. Those are the ones we have here in the studio. And, uh, of course, Preston's new one uh, is available now. We've got a link to that up at ParabnormalRadio.com. And we've been talking about these encounters at drive-in movie theaters and... A very interesting thought that stuck with me the entire break, and so now we regurgitate it about odors, the cheesy odor, hopefully not rotten cheese. What other odors do some people say that they smell when they're around extraterrestrials? Uh, Yes, organic odors. People sometimes find it hard to identify. Uh, One lady specifically told me beans and franks. I'm like, okay, you know, I kind of shrugged it off until I heard another person <laughs> say the same. Yeah, they said the same thing. Uh, one said, like, a dirty locker room. Uh, so you get kind of these undefined sort of muggy, unclean odors uh, in some cases. Uh, but, yeah, most cases... I'm guessing, like, what it might be to sniff a jock strap. <laughs> I hope not, uh, but... Uh, yeah, most cases I have to tell you, people do not report odors uh, on board UFOs. Uh, but s- some cases are very strange. I just did some research into this, where people are taken on board a UFO and they are taken to an area that's essentially a greenhouse. Uh, one lady, she thought she was in a forest. This is one of John Mack's clients, Catherine. They took her to this room, which was like a pine forest. Since it was actually as big as a gymnasium, and these walls sloped up on all sides up to the ceiling. And I thought, huh, that's an interesting case because I know Betty Andreessen, a very well-known abductee from Ashburnham, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. a number of cases written about her, she describes the same thing. And so I started digging into this and, you know, R.D. Sixkiller Clark, one of my favorite current researchers, has written three books, I think now, about indigenous people encounters, Native Americans, and just going around getting people's firsthand stories. And got one from a kid in Belize who at age eight, this is like 1918 or something really early, uh, was taken on board a UFO and same thing. They had this orchard and this, this room filled with trees. And they were interested in him because he knew all the herbal lore of the village. He was being taught by his grandfather. And this ended up at, you know, being a series of encounters where they would, he would take them out to the forest and they would pick medicinal plants. And uh, the more I looked into this, I'm like, yep, they're definitely taking our plants. There's a very famous case in Puerto Rico where the Camacho family, uh, Marisol and, gosh, I forget the guy's name, Hector or something. Uh, the neighbors said, oh, we saw a UFO hovering over your house. And we're like, oh, really? We didn't see it. A couple of nights later, the husband sees it. And then a few nights after that, Marisol is woken up out of a sleep looks out the window, which faces her front porch, and sees these two kind of shiny, bald-headed, large-eyed beings, very short, eyeing her Swiss cheese plant, a philodendron, you know, a split-leaf philodendron. <laughs> it's a common house plant, and uh, they were stripping the leaves. She opens her window, and they run away, but they come back two years later. <laughs> they want more leaves. And uh, so I look it up. I'm like, well, what's a, you know, what's a philodendron? Anything special about it? It's a common house plant, but it in fact does have numerous medicinal properties. So this is what I think we're seeing. They're picking food plants, certainly, a lot of cases like that, but 
medicinal plants as well. <laughs> wow. Uh, I do remember you sharing that story with us uh, once before. I mean, there's just so many fascinating stories that, and, and so many odd aspects of these encounters, Preston, that, uh, you know, I've not heard mentioned in, in many other uh, reports before. They're just, they're just so fascinating, some of these, uh, these different aspects of UFO encounters. <laughs> right? That's, I like looking for patterns. And that was another one I mentioned briefly, prisons. Oh, I, re- I remember the, uh, sorry, the alien <laughs> drinks. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's another one. You know, I'm, I'm putting out a bunch of videos on all these and some of my research on YouTube. Uh, and the channel's doing pretty well. But yeah, I found another UFO attractor, prisons. Definitely a thing. I knew about a couple of cases, decided to look into it again and found well over a dozen and these are the same sort of thing. It's not quite as dramatic as the driving encounters or the schoolyard. But I, they seem to be attracted to installations, generally speaking. And prisons are definitely, you know, very powerful installations. And what we're seeing is a number of cases all over the world, in this case, uh, where UFOs are hovering over prisons, very low level, sometimes for a long time. And on photograph, too, there was a Recent case in England, over, get this, and this is just a coincidence, Preston Prison, uh, where, yeah, they, a lady photographed this glowing object. Uh, so, I don't know. They're definitely attracted to, I think, the technology that we're displaying in these installations. They're definitely attracted to uh, to something. All right, let's go to uh, the phone. I believe this is Bella in Oregon. Hello, you're on with Preston Dennett. Hello, guys. I hope you guys are doing good tonight. Great show. Uh, very interesting. Because, yeah, <laughs> this really has been a great show, um, especially you know, with the aspect of um, people, you know, are home, and more of them are probably doing things in their backyard. I know I've noticed that um, in my area. I'm in uh, Oregon, so... I, I was on a, a forum, and I had seen somebody uh, have posted a thread about uh, seeing UFOs in, in or around the Cascades. And um, there, because of, you know, the things going on in Portland, uh, there are a lot more things in the sky. Um, and I've noticed that. And I was actually outside, oh, gosh, I would say last week. Um, around nine or ten o'clock, uh, this be uh, Pacific time, and I was looking up at the sky and I saw what looked to be just a, a normal star. And in Portland, there's a lot of light pollution, so this was pretty bright, and that, but it was moving. And um, while I was looking at it at the time. I thought, one, that is really high up because it, it's very small point of light. It looks like a star. And I was thinking it might be a satellite. As it's moving, I'm thinking, eh, it doesn't look like a plane or a satellite. There's no light. Just as I thought that, this thing lit up, and it looked to light up from the inside out. Like, it glowed. Um just as I thought, this isn't 
normal. This isn't a plane. There was no flashing. Um, it was very high, high altitude. And just when I think this isn't normal, it, it was like, yeah, I'm not normal. I'm going to light up and respond. It, it may have been a coincidence, um, but it didn't feel like it at the time. And uh, about, I want to say 15, 20 seconds later, uh, a, the exact same type of uh, craft or thing um, was traveling in the very same direction. Now, it may have been a satellite, but uh, this one didn't light up when it came over. So um, I, I was wondering if uh, there have been more sightings in uh, the Pacific Northwest, and um, maybe it could be due to all the unrest that's going on here. So I, I don't know. If I was an alien, you know, uh, researching uh, the human mind, I, I definitely would be attracted to uh, areas like this um, just because of the energy uh, that's being um, put out by people and uh, machines. So I don't know. That, that's just I wanted to put that in my two cents in and say thank you and this great, uh, great show tonight, guys. Well, I appreciate that call, Bella. Your, your response to that, <laughs> Preston? Uh, yeah, well, I'm really interested to say... You know, you see this object and just as you think, is that strange? Because I hear that a lot. Uh, UFOs are all about telepathy. I think they know when they're being seen and are showing themselves not necessarily always. Uh, but, yeah, I see that weird social interaction there that between them and us. So I kind of laughed when I heard you say that. It, I mean, it, it may, it, I've never had anything like that happen. And it it, it, it kind of not put a scare into me, but it definitely was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's their yeah. grassroots movement again. They're, they're showing themselves off one by one. You know, this is the way they're going to do it or have been. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't, um, it didn't feel or look like a reflection. Like, you know, I was thinking at the time, oh, it could be a satellite, but I was thinking that, you know, and that's when, you know, the whole thing flashed and it wasn't like a, a reflection, like you would, and, and it was also, what, 10, yeah, about 9, 10 o'clock at night, it's completely dark, so. Um, this was recent? And the moon was in the room. Uh, yeah, this was about, I want to say last week, um, I want to say Saturday or Sunday, so. Yeah, I wonder if the activity is ramping up because we're getting a lot of reports and yeah, people are at home and the world is a little crazy. Uh, and some people feel like UFO waves are a bit of a social phenomenon and encourages other people to go public. But no, I think we are seeing actual increase in activity and they have to be aware of what's going on. They absolutely have to because I know ETs pay very close attention to all things human and Earth. So there's talk that the ETs created the coronavirus and that they're doing it for a variety of reasons. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I would highly doubt it because one of their main agendas is really the healing of humanity. I've documented some 300 cases, and there are a good five or ten in there of people healed of flu. Um, no, I don't think they're causing the virus at all. Uh, in fact, I think they're responsible for increasing people's lifespans. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people I've interviewed 
yeah, some people do have medical problems as a result of their encounters. I'm not going to gloss that over, but a good portion tell me that they have excellent health and they feel it's due to their encounters. And one case that always comes to mind is Jim, I think his name was Jim, an attorney from Gainesville, Florida, who was suffering from a hernia. The grays show up. And by this point, he's had a number of encounters with them. He's pretty used to them. And he says, hey, if you're going to abduct me, heal my hernia. And they did. They said, we know of this condition and we will fix it. And they did very quickly right there. And he asked, why are you abducting me? Why, why do you keep taking me? And they told him, and I'm, this is kind, not a direct quote, but in essence, they said, we are interested in your genetic propensity to live a long time. And that was interesting, particularly to him. Because his grandfather was 106 and still very active. And I, I thought, hmm, this is interesting because humanity's lifespan has essentially doubled over the past 100 years. So who, who is responsible for that? Is it just us or is our ETs helping us along? I think there's a possibility they are. Yeah, you wrote an entire book on UFO healings. Yeah, there's definitely a very positive aspect to UFO encounters that doesn't get a lot of publicity. But I have to tell you, the healing cases, I couldn't find a major researcher out there who did not have them. John Mack had them, David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, Barbara Lamb, Yvonne Smith, you, know, you name it. And those are the big ones. There's also been some deaths, though, and injuries as the result of some UFO encounters, including one that is in your book from China. Yeah, I don't think they intentionally caused that one, but we can't say for sure. But yeah, there's some very hairy encounters. Um, Brazil, the Colares area, had a number of people dying after being struck by a beam of light from a UFO. And there's certainly a scattering of cases of that. And I tell you, sure, there's a few scattering cases of human mutilations as well. And a lot of missing people. In, in the same way as cattle and other livestock, like pre the precision yep. and whatnot? A couple. You know, there's a very famous photograph that's circulating out there which shows this and a couple of uh, cases. Not a lot. I think it's probably covered up. Hard to say. It's not really. Mutilations are really my area of research. I did look into it when I wrote UFOs over Colorado and New Mexico because they were both the hardest hit in terms of cattle mutilations. And uh, yeah, it's an absolutely real phenomena. I think it is directly related to UFOs, but there's weird government involvement in some of these cases that's hard to explain, black helicopters and the like. Uh, so yeah, this field has layers and layers to it. It just gets weirder and more complex, and each answer raises more questions. Yeah, and you'd think after 35 years, if it was an, an easy, solvable phenomena, that you may have done that, or others like you, Stanton Friedman, you know, who was like 50, 60 years into this, and others who have been doing this their entire life, it, it proves how complex of a subject it is. Yeah, but we do have answers. We know pretty much what to expect when someone's taken on board a UFO. There are absolutely unique elements, uh, but does follow a very strong pattern, which was established long ago by Thomas Bullard. And uh, we're, we're st we still see that. And I think the best explanation we have is, yeah, these are extraterrestrial I hesitate to call it a mystery at sometimes because I'm pretty sure that, yes, this is what we're dealing with in maybe not the majority, but certainly close to it of these cases. Uh, and that will be answered at some point. You can't hide the truth forever. You can try, but 
The truth, you can't change it. You can't alter it. You can only cover it up. And if this phenomena is as pervasive and widespread and sort of forthcoming with this agenda of open official contact, it's going to be a tidal wave of activity that you simply cannot cover up anymore. And that, I think, is one of the driving forces behind disclosure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I feel bad for the military in, in some ways. They've dug themselves into this hole, painted themselves into a corner. For years and years and years, they've said nothing to UFOs. While they know perfectly well there is something to UFOs, every U.S. government study has said there's no national security threat. When clearly, from a military perspective, there is, if they're abducting people and hovering over our nuclear power stations and shutting down missiles, which they are. So from their viewpoint, I can see why they would say, ah, this might not be the friendliest thing. But I think they know fully well that they are friendly, that ETs could take over and aren't. Uh, But they seem to have their own agenda, and we can do nothing about it. What do you think um, is going to be coming out in the next six months or a year, you think, Preston, on the UFO disclosure front? I mean, you mentioned, you know, the metals, and supposedly there's some sort of metal or debris or object or something that still is going to be released, I believe, by the To The Stars Academy. What do you think the future holds? Um, I hope it's more than just a little scrap of metal that maybe floats or something, or more pilot sightings. Um, There's an awful lot of very high-quality footage that we know exists, you know, like... Gordon Cooper was at Edwards Air Force Base when a UFO landed. That was filmed. There's all kinds of gun camera footage. The supposed Eisenhower meeting at Area 51, or um, I mean Edwards Air Force Base in 1954, that was supposedly filmed. And many researchers take that pretty seriously. I'm one of them. I think there's definitely truth to that case. So we're going to need to see, like I said, the alien bodies or the craft have a real chance at, you know, moving the public. And I don't think the government is ready for that. Uh, So I don't know exactly what we're going to see. But that's what I'm hoping for. What I'm expecting is some films, some fuzzy films, some more, maybe some technology. That's what I'd really like to see. I believe we do have free energy technology from UFOs that should be used to solve the energy crisis, the economic crisis, the environmental crisis. Lay it out, roll it out. You know, if we have to pay money for it, fine. But let's not destroy our planet over greed. That would be a real mistake. And I think that's another driving force behind disclosure is getting this technology out there. Preston is also involved in Gary Voorhees and Kevin Day's outfit, UAP Expeditions. And they are actually doing some pretty exciting research uh, and investigation on this subject. So Preston's involved with that group. Uh, What else are you working on coming up, uh, Preston? Because your your subjects, your books always fascinate me. I've got several of them here, and, uh, of course, I've got more that I've got to pick up. But uh, what's coming up for you? Oh, I'm working on another one, very much like onboard UFO encounters and inside UFOs involving people who've had really intense sightings or on rather face-to-face encounters and onboard encounters because i think that's where the answers are you know everything we know about ufos is from people who've encountered them uh so that's what where i like to concentrate a lot of my research uh but i have all kinds of plans set up i'm putting up another volume of my not from here series 
which I really like because those are the sort of outlying cases that defy the standard model or just the weirder ones like UFOs hovering over prisons or what have you. So that'll be coming out hopefully next year. And uh, yeah, always interviewing new people, working on several cases right now, people uh, who are having encounters. Uh, I do a lot of you know counseling for people who are freaking out because they've just had sightings or something. So I'm, do- I'm working hard on this field, trying to make a difference. Preston, thank you so much again for just another amazing program. It seems like every time uh, we get together, that is the end result. So uh, thank you once again. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Always have fun talking to you. It certainly is entertaining. We've done lots of shows together, and Preston just writes about really fascinating aspects of uh, UFOs and about encounters, and certainly these uh, over-drive-in movie theaters right up there. And as folks are out and about here late August, a lot of folks aren't heading back to school. I hear that drive-in movie theaters are opening up, reopening up. And uh, getting revitalized in that people, because they can't be socially distant, they're digging it. It's a thing again. Who thought in 2020 that drive-in movie theaters would be experiencing a resurgence? So keep your eyes to the sky. And until next time, I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Good night, friends. today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.